0: Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock.
1: Welcome to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and this is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. This is part two of my conversation with Gary Seligson. We left off talking about how he got the job at AIDA. We're going to be discussing his experience working on the show Wicked, Tarzan, School of Rock, Billy Elliot, Motown the Musical, and Mrs. Doubtfire. We also talk about how he worked with Elton John and working with an amazing drummer, Phil Collins. How did you get to Wicked after AIDA? So
2: the same same guy that was the choreographer on AIDA got hired wicked. And so one day, Jim Abbott, you know, Jim,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: don't know him. He's a good friend of mine. I've done a lot of stuff with Jim. He's a keyboard player. I, he was on, I know him from cats. So that's, that was way back to then. Um, he and I did a lot of, we wound up getting dance arranger credit on AIDA because we did so much. Yeah. So much work on that. And Wayne Salento, the choreographer really loved working with Jim and I. So when Wicked was his next project. He asked us if we would be interested in working on that with him. And at the time, nobody knew what Wicked was gonna become at all. It was just another project. So I, I was like, sure, of course. Um, that was 2005, no, 2002. Um, so we started working on it with him and there was a lot of work to be done. And I, at the time, as t- in the 2003 area, Aida was had opened in 2000, so it was about three years plus into the run. It was kind of winding down a little bit, and Wicked was clearly becoming something incredible. So that's when I decided to leave Aida to do Wicked. It was a lateral move for me to go from one to the other.
1: Again, was that something that you went out of town for, or you? Uh...
2: The way it, what happened with Wicked was. Um, we started quietly working with him and his choreographer, Wayne, and his assistant. It would be Jim Abbott and me and Wayne and Corinne McFadden uh, for, you know, weeks, a week here, a week there. They were trying to come up with choreography and, Wayne, and Wayne's and uh, Stephen Schwartz, a composer of Wicked, his instructions to Wayne Salento and Jim Abbott, who became the dance arranger for the show, was that he wanted... The music, besides his own music, his own tune, you know, beautiful melodies and songs. He wanted the dance music to sound something otherworldly like from some other world. So at the time, we were trying everything in the world. We had some loops going and we were trying all kinds of crazy things. And we spent weeks working on stuff. Um, and what was your question? How did, how, did that, how did that evolve? Is that what you yes, asked? Yeah. So it was weeks, it was weeks of that. And then, um, and then at some point they did, they did auditions. They put a, they put a cast together. And then we did a cast rehearsals where Jim and I were there playing. Actually, Jim was not playing the cast rehearsals. Alex Lackamore was playing. He was a keyboard one player and associate. And we were playing the rehearsals with the cast and they were grooming the cast to go, to do the out of town, which was in San Francisco. And Michael Keller, the contractor, told me right away. He's like, "Look, I can't take you out of town to play drums, because in San Francisco, I have to use the local drummer there, and you're not going to get to do the gig." And I said, "Okay, that's fine. I'm, Aida was still happening, you know, so it didn't really matter to me." Um, great drummer played it there, and his name I can't think of right now. John, somebody. He's amazing. I'll th- I'll come up with it later. Anyway, um, so I was fine, and I was so I continued to play Aida, and but I knew that Wicked was really something special. The cast is incredible. The music was beautiful. It was so intense. The story is so intense. You know, There's so much of my own stamp in it, in a way. So at one point during I, the run of Aida, when, when they were playing Wicked in San Francisco, I flew myself out with JetBlue to, uh, to San Francisco to watch the show. I was like, this is worth it to me, because I needed to find out if I wanted to do the show or not. I had an open invitation to play the show when it came back to New York. So do I leave Aida and play Wicked or do I hang with Aida? So I went to watch Wicked in San Francisco. And from the moment Glinda comes down in the in the ball or whatever it is, um, in the beginning of the show, I, the people around me were like <gasps> gasping, you know, like they were completely in it from like minute number two. They were enthralled with the show because it's the prequel to the Wizard of Oz and, everybody knows the backstory everybody's fascinated Kristen Chenoweth is so amazing and funny and witty and Adina was spellbinding and you know the thing is incredible Joel Gray was amazing so I was like well this is going to be a hit you know I immediately knew I was like okay so I told them yeah actually I want to do the show and that's what happened
1: so I talked to uh, Bill Lanham and Matt Vanderin about Wicked I asked huh? Bill, I was like, why is it so... Everyone that I talk to is like, Matt, God, Wicked, so hard to play. And, and uh, Matt was telling me that you, the way you described it to him, I think, was Bartok meets Metallica or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, it's a combination.
2: Uh, I, I guess in a way, I mean, I mean you know, I with that, well, I guess, what, I guess I said that at the time. What, what I think what I meant by that was um, Bartok being a a modern classical composer whose music is very passionate and intense and sometimes difficult rhythmically and harmonically. You have to be on your game to play that and be be very precise and play it to the nth degree. Um, There's nothing Broadway showy about that kind of music. And the metallic aspect, well, you know, some of it gets kind of heavy rock and intense and angsty. And I was playing, you know, some of those songs. You have to because No Good Deed, that song um, and some of the others. It's full on rock. I mean, everything I could give to it, it would take. And, and the drums actually, the drums that I was using in the pit at Wicked was a thin shell, four ply, maple, pearl, gorgeous drums, But I remember hitting them so freaking hard and thinking, man, I am topping these shells out. Like I can't play any more, can't play anything more into it because it's not going to sound musical after that. And I never felt that way with the Trump set before, but some of the music in wicked made me play that intensely. That's my point. So, you know, yeah, wicked is really all over the place. There's the quietest little finger symbol and triangle things that you want to be so delicate and it's chamber music like, you know, you're playing with a pretty flute and an oboe, maybe and strings in one minute and somebody's, you know, crying or emoting. The stakes are very high theatrically and, and, the, and Bill Brown's orchestrations in that show are gorgeous. So and then there's times when you're playing with a lot of brass. It's a big orchestra, twenty three piece band, 23 piece band, two trombones, two French horns. Two trumpets, four woodwinds, three keyboards, bass, two guitars, drums, percussion. and a string quartet. And the way, the way he orchestrated it, he really um, he really uses the orchestration specific moments call for specific little ensembles. And there's a lot of that going on while the intense emotion happening on stage. So some, sometimes I'm like throwing down, playing rock. Sometimes it's poppy. Sometimes it's I'm playing br- a brush ballad tenderly. Sometimes it's finger cymbals. Sometimes it's bombast tom-toms with timpani. And You know, there was, uh, t- there was no tam-tam, but, you know, there's some electronic weirdness. There's some weird sounds on a pad. A lot going on.
1: What do you think it was about that show that made it, have such uh, staying power?
2: A um, couple things. First of all, most people know the backstory. Most people know the story of wizard of Oz and it's something that speaks to them. So here's a, here's a thing being presented. It's a, a twist on the story and big time and also a prequel. And I think people were immediately, you know, you go into the story realizing, Oh wait, I'm kind of interested in this because I remember seeing this as a kid. A the, there's some gorgeous music. The, the actors, the original actors, Kristen Chenoweth, they were incredible. The costumes are gorgeous. The set is is really wild and cool. It kind of has everything. There was a famous line that Joe Mattello, the director, said when we first opened. He said, and I think it was in an interview or maybe set in the theater and people picked up on it. He said, well, at least to, you know after watching a, a preview or a tech rehearsal or probably a, a run-through, he said, well, at least you know where your $150 is going when you watch the show. Mm. Meaning that you, you see this opulence and you're getting this spectacle. Really, it's not, there's nothing um, casual about it at all. <laughs> From the <laughs> costumes to the story, to the performances, to the music, to the blah, blah,
1: Musicians in general don't leave shows, especially hit Broadway shows because we're like, all right, I'm going to stay here. At least I got a job. It's solid. You took a leap and you left and you did Tarzan.
2: That's why I left. Tell
1: me, tell me more.
2: We were playing Wicked and then we were about two and a half years into it. I'd been with the show. Basically I'd done about a year pre-production, maybe in about two and a half years of the show sort of. Um, And one day, I heard Disney, who I'd worked with, that's they produced Aida, was producing Tarzan. And somebody told me that they're producing Tarzan. And I said, well, who's playing drums? And I p- kind of put in for it and was offered the job, basically. And the way, this is a good story, the way I was offered the job was, I um, at first we just, you know, I was very interested and I was able to, to do a, a 29-hour reading of so, what that was, you probably, maybe you've ever done those, where, where yeah. they, they'd assemble a small cast, and it's Disney, so they did it like with a big budget. So, they assembled a small cast, and they had microphones set up on mic stands and a PA in a room at 42nd Street Studios, um, a rhythm section. And so, I was given, I was, I was asked to do that. Because it was a similar, Paul gave was a music supervisor, and he had, was a musical supervisor on AIDA. So he allowed me to do this thing. And of course, it's Phil Collins' music. I love Phil Collins. He's definitely a major influence on me. Um, and I, was, I jumped at the chance, of course, and I could do it during the day. And I thought, well, if I wind up at the gig, amazing. And if not, it'll be an incredible experience. So I do the 29-hour thing. I get, I hear the demos. And Jim Abbott was involved also. He was going to MD it, and he, and I said, well, how do I go about this? Because Phil Collins' demos were laden with ten tracks of percussion, basically for every song, because it's Tarzan and it's in the jungles, and you know, there's a lot of percussion. Like, how do you want me to do this in the room? And he said, and he said, well, just do whatever you can. So I had a drum set. And I had a drum cap. And on the drum cat I had his samples. I put a bunch of, they got, I had access to Phil's samples. So I put up what I thought was important. And somehow, I, no percussionist. somehow I was able to play the percussion stuff in the top of the tune. And then when it morphs into the drum kit, I played the drum kit. And if I had to keep a tambourine going or if I had to play some jam, I was playing a lot. I was like Spider-Man, you know? And it was all, and it was on V drums, right? Oh wow! Phil Collins was there every hour of that twenty-nine hours. So here's how, here's what went down. Here's how lucky I am and how grateful I am. Uh, So we're doing this, and I'm a nervous wreck playing drums for Phil Collins. He's in the the room here, you know, with ten people in the cast, if that. Three other, four other musicians. Phil Collins, a bunch of Disney people, and they're trying to figure this out. There's a little bit of dialogue. Used as a through line in between Phil's amazing songs. I'm reading my ass off. You know, like on two staffs, the percussion, I kind of made it work. So I I knew what I was going to play so that it would work. I spent a lot of time on it, making it work. So I had the V-drum kit with the, the drum cat and probably like three or four extra pads and a couple of pedals. It was like electronic madness. Doing the best I could. Playing... To his sequences or a click, I don't remember now. I can't remember. I think we played to his sequences, but I think, feel like there was very little percussion on the sequences at that point. And Phil was there with his whole rig. He had like a rig of keyboards and his keyboard guy there. It was fascinating. So it was a Monday through Friday thing. On Thursday, I go into the 10 o'clock rehearsal. And Phil's hanging out by the drum set. And I talked to Phil Collins that week. And, you know, he was very friendly, very down earth guy. And Phil's by the drums. 10 in the morning, before 10, 10 to 10. And and he's hanging out the drum kit. I'm like, okay, he's at the drums. This is wild. And I said, hey, Phil, how are you? And Phil says to me, he goes, Gary, guess what I did last night? I'm like, I don't know, Phil. What would you do? He said, I went to Wicked. I was like, you saw Wicked last night? He's like, I saw Wicked last night. I said, Well, how did you like that? Thinking that he's gonna say it was okay. He was over the moon about it. He (laughs) loved it. He was in love with Adina. He loved the band. He said, You sounded incredible. I was like, Well, man, Phil, really, thank. Thank you. Um, but had I known you were there, (laughs) I probably had I known I were there, I probably would have choked or something, but you know. Um, he said, you really sounded great. It was so great to hear you in the theater. And I said, well, Phil, I'm amazed that you, I thank you for the compliment, but frankly, what I'm doing here in the room with you is so much more grooving, and it's your music, and, uh, you know, I'm playing so much more stuff. He said, no, man, I got to hear you hit the drums. I was like, yeah, but you're hearing me here. He's like, and this is really, this is a really insightful thing that I'll never forget. He said, Gary, here you're playing on electronic pads, I have no idea what you sound like. And I was like, yeah, but I'm playing my heart out. He's like, no, 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 I, I have no idea how you sound on the drums. He wasn't impressed, really, with what I was doing, even though I was working so hard to impress him playing all that stuff, you know, in real time, drums and percussion. What he was impressed with was what, how the orchestra sounded and how the show landed and how it sounded in the house to him. Anyway, I was amazed. I was like, wow, he heard me play. Okay, weeks go by, the 29-hour thing stops. And we're like, what's next for Tarzan? Well, the next thing I hear is that they're going to do another workshop, but they don't know who's going to play drums. I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And, and, and at the same time, moving out, the Billy Joel show, remember that show? Yeah. Right? Was playing at the Richard Rogers Theater. And the drummer, whose name I can never remember, who's Billy Joel's drummer now, Amazing drummer, Chuck Berge. yeah, Chuck Yes, Berge. yes. Chuck Burgey was playing drums. And Chuck Bergey was freaking out because Move It Out got its closing notice. And he loved having a Broadway show. And Chuck felt he was like, we're closing? Well, what's coming in? Somebody said, well, it's actually Tarzan and Phil Collins. Oh, Chuck Bergey no. had replaced Phil Collins on Brand X. So Chuck reputedly said, well, I'm going to call Phil and tell him I want the job. So not to pat myself on the back, but here's how this went down. And I'm not kidding you. So this workshop of Tarzan's plan. I hear Chuck wants a job. I'm like, well, that's it. I'm done. And and Paul Bogay said, well, I don't know. It's not over yet. And Phil Collins told them, say, look, I never heard Chuck play in a theater. The only guy I've ever heard play in a theater that I know I love the way he plays in the theater and what he plays, what he brings to the show from a theatrical point of view, is, is, is Gary Seligson? I, I don't care who you put in the band, but I want that guy to play drums.
1: Wow, that's I great. Not,
2: I kid you not, that's how it went down. Luckily yeah. for me, because I felt like my head, you know, I mean, I was really flattered and amazed, but at the same time, I knew that Chuck is a great <laughs> drummer, and I thought, oh man, Chuck's going to fucking kill me. But luckily, <laughs> he got the gig with Billy Joel a few weeks after that, so he's been happy there ever since. So,
1: wow. So he That's amazing.
2: Anyway, so I left Wicked to do that because Phil Collins is my hero. There's so much drubbing going on. How could I, you know, and I guess I was, you know, at that point I had one kid. Now I have two. And I was like, this will be okay, you know. Tarzan, it's a Disney show. They thought it was going to be bigger than Lion King. They had really great hopes for it.
1: How long did it last?
2: It lasted for 14 months, 15 months. I probably worked for about a year and a half on it, maybe a little more. But it was the experience of a lifetime. So But I, when that show closed, I had no shows, and I was stubbing for the next 14 months.
1: Did you go back to Wicked to sub? Yes. And what did it feel like?
2: Really weird, because I played it the way I played it, and Matt plays a little differently than me. I was like, and I asked the conductor, I was like, um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can I play it my way?
2: <laughs> Can I play He's like, yeah, you wrote this thing, you need to play it how... And they were forgiving, they let me play it my way. And not that it's that <laughs> different, please. He just had, you know, Matt is a great drummer. He mm-hmm. has a heavier foot than me. He's coming from a little different place
1: mm-hmm. in some ways. Man, I don't know who has a heavier foot than you, man. <laughs> if, <laughs> I heard you play, man. You, you. Could, it's yeah. funny how you have a history of playing jazz, but you play so heavily. I mean, you, oh, you have a strong feel, whether it's Aida or... Uh,
2: I like to play rock, I guess, you know.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, I mean, we'll get to the School of Rock thing in a minute. And, of course, playing ain't too proud. But Tarzan, you went back to, to subbing after that closed. and
2: No, I had 14 months of subbing. I mean, I was doing a bunch of stuff, but I was subbing. And then one day I got called to do Billy Elliot, which was great. And that lasted for about three and a half years, maybe longer.
1: Oh, that's great.
2: It was amazing. Um, and my second son was born at that point during that time. Uh yeah. And then when that closed, that was Elton John and really interesting experience too. Um very different Phil,
1: Phil Collins and then Elton John. So tell me about Elton John. Oh, it was and Elton
2: you're... John, then Phil Collins, and then Elton John.
1: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Ah. What do you want to know? <laughs> so meeting people like Elton John and Phil Collins, were you self-conscious that we were, were you like thinking, oh, my God, this is a legendary, you know, rock star? Or were you like, oh, this guy's cool. Let me just work with him. Like, how did you approach it?
2: Well, I wish I could say I was that cool as a cucumber like that, but not really. Um, with, you know, with Elton John, I got to play with him two times. One was in, one, he showed up in, in the rehearsal room for AIDA early on. And we got. To, I got to play a shuffle feel with him because he. he we had played it for Elton. He was watching. He's like, you know, I get, not Gary. He, he was sat in the middle of the room, and he's and then he started walking over to the bench and He said, "Actually, I think it should be a little faster." And then he kicked the kicked the piano player off the stool. Basically, he said, Look, "Can I sit down?" And he played, you know, a faster shuffle feel, and I played along with him. That was my strongest suit. Um, that lasted for about two choruses. Um, And it was incredible. He's a force of nature. And when he plays, so, but he plays so, he has such a giant feel, giant um, sense of pulse and, and uh, groove that basically he'll take you along and, you know, and I was, I was, I was like, well, I'm not going to get in the way of this. So I was just playing some drums to his very strong piano feel. It's like, yeah, it should be this tempo, you know, you know 20 points 20 clicks faster
1: <laughs>
2: that was one time and then another time on the today show that was really wild um but i won't get into that there's a whole story with that but i will not get into that because it's a 10-minute <laughs> story uh but but playing with him is amazing and for that reason he has such a strong time field phil collins um i never got to play with him where he was playing except when he was tapping a pencil on a, on a stick <laughs> seriously or clapping, um, and oh, I wow. with him singing and that was amazing. And I got to listen to him tapping time with a pencil on the desk or his foot tapping his foot. And I'm here to tell you that he has like the strongest sense of groove. I've ever met anybody I've ever met in my life. Like he can tap his foot Clayton. Like he, here's a, here's a story we he was always when we were rehearsing Tarzan there's all this flying that goes around where they have to fly actors and so it took months of rigging where the people are on harnesses and Disney didn't want anybody to get hurt of course so they had to we took months and during the 10-week period I didn't play a note but I transcribed a lot of stuff yeah not kidding you until the last day and then even that day I barely played but I would be in rehearsal I would be in you know hanging out in the room where they were t- teaching the vocals, and Phil was there basically every day for 10 weeks or whatever, eight weeks, whatever it was. Always there. Phil Collins was there day in. day. In. He loved it. He comes from the theater. He was a child actor in London, and he loved the process. He was always there. He's the nicest guy. He's the mellowest guy you've ever met in your life. No airs about him. No ego. Incredible. Well, often, Phil would be in the room where they were teaching vocal harmonies, so the guy would be playing piano, and teaching parts and phil would just be there just to make sure people were not singing with too much vibrato because he knew the music was not going to be about vibrato you know even though it's a broadway show it's a pop show he wanted to make sure nobody was learning it correctly so he would just be tapping time either with his foot on the floor or his hand just just, just to kind of help the time in the room man the whole room would be swaying he was so strong clayton Mm. His, his time feel is so strong. The air in the room felt differently when he was when he would do that. He didn't try to do anything. He was just trying. to He was just like listening and tapping his foot. But the groove that the pocket was so wide. Wow! Incredible! Incredible!
1: Tell me more about Billy Elliot. I I didn't get a chance to see it. I need to see the actual movie. Did you do the mu- movie also? No, 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 no. Okay.
2: Billy Elliot's an interesting story. That that came to New York after it was already a hit in London and when it came to New York um the album had already come out they recorded it in London and so my um direction was to play what what was already created so I had all you know I was just to play it as it was. Okay. Unlike Aida and Wicked where there was a ton of Gary in the in those parts there's hardly anything in the Broadway version not hardly anything not too much change for the Broadway version versus what was on the album. You know,
1: mm. there was some new
2: stuff. I played there's a tune called Electricity where I added a double kick drum pedal. I thought that worked really well. Um, there was a few little things, and that, that was a big thing. Oh, that Electricity and the song Angry Dance at the end of the first act is like a boogie that I played a double kick drum for the last chorus. That was not Lo- in London's version. But the drummer that recorded the album in London is was not the guy that played the show. Uh, the guy that pl- recorded the album is a guy named Ralph Sammons, S A L M I N S. very famous London studio. He's like Steve Gadd. Amazing drummer. He sounded – I just like was like, well, what you played is, you know, beautiful. All the big band stuff is great. So there's it's a big band. There's a lot of brass corrals. There's a lot of, like, military kind of stuff. There's a couple of rocky things with that boogie and, you know – some some classic kind of Elton stuff, but not as classic, I'd say, as the Aida Elton. Aida that, ran Aida. For,
1: that ran for four years, right? About
2: Yeah, like four years, I think. Something around there. Yeah, it was amazing. I loved it.
1: There was a Broadway cast recording, wasn't there?
2: No, only the London cast recording.
1: Oh, wow. Interesting.
2: Yep. And it's great.
1: That's cool.
2: It's a great show. I mean, the story is amazing. They thought it would run longer. They uh, Basically, they put a tour together. And they thought the tour would do really well, but what happened on the tour was, it's a story about um, a kid who, it's a co- in a coal mining town back in the 80s um, when the coal miners went on strike. And basically the whole town, everybody in the town works in the coal mines and everybody, nobody has work, they're all on strike, nobody's got any money. And one of the coal miners' sons is this 12 or 13 year old kid who loves to dance. Who he's not gay, but uh so he became a ballet ba- ballet dancer, and he loves it. And the whole story ensues. I won't give it away, but basically, what happened with that was the tour was put out. They were start. They were going to do like five months in Chicago. Ran, wound up running about six weeks. They couldn't sell tickets because Middle America thought that the show was Billy Elliot, a show about a little gay dancer.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Seriously. And wow. They well,
2: basically, they couldn't sell the tour because people didn't, were not interested in seeing an Elton John show about a gay ball- ballet dancer. And basically, wow! they poured so much money into that. They lost so much money with the tour that they gave up on the Broadway run, basically is what happened. But they got four years of Broadway out of it. But that's wow. really what happened.
0: If you like what you hear on the show, subscribe to the Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com. That's substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K.com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives, and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, you'll receive discounted private drum lessons, an opportunity to watch Clayton play in the pit of his show, and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening.
1: On to Motown the Musical. You played percussion there.
0: Yeah, so Billy Elliot
2: closed, and then I had, again, 14 months of subbing, and I went back to whatever I could and subbed a lot and did a lot of different workshops and things, and and then Motown happened... Um, because Ethan pop, the musical supervisor for Motown, I met during Tarzan. He was the associate conductor on Tarzan. So he hired me to do one of the readings to play drums. um, um which was frightening for me, Barry Gordy in the room. <laughs> uh, and then eventually they got Buddy Williams, which I'm th- really happy about to play drums. And Ethan said, well, I can offer you the percussion chair. I said, sure, I'll do that. And that's how that happened. Mm. So, yeah, it was percussion. Very similar to what I did on Dreamgirls. A lot of tambourine. You were there. You played the tambourine. Yes. A lot of timpani, a lot of tambourine, some vibes, some xylophone. Yeah, some- I had to dust off my mallet chops, and I did. I worked you know, for months playing scales and reading, getting my stuff to- back together, learning how to- the gospel tambourine thing, I, you know.
1: Band was uh, great, man. I used to love great. playing that show.
2: I know. And Roger Scutero was on yes. playing the Fuga book and Roger Yes. Uh, I love yeah. Roger Scutero. we we were on Tarzan together. He was a, he
1: uh-huh. and
2: Javier Diaz were the, it was me and Javier Diaz and Roger.
1: When I did the workshop of Ain't Too Proud, you know, I uh it was just me and Kenny Seymour for the most right. part doing, you know, the choreography in the and right. The music, and then when we had the workshop, it was me, Keith Robinson, uh, George Farmer, yeah. Roger, and Javier. And when I was playing with Roger and Javier, oh my God! You know, I was playing what I was playing, but when they got together, their energy—they're so tight together. Yep. They just raised it up to a whole another level. I'm like, oh yeah. talk shit! About,
2: talk about cloud nine, right?
1: Yeah. Oh my God, they're just. Yeah, Cloud Nine. Yeah, that that grew at the very beginning. I'm like, oh, my God.
2: Anything. I mean, Rod, those guys are ama- So imagine playing Phil Collins' music. Mm. No jungle vibe.
1: Oh, my God. Wow. That's something.
2: Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> that's why I took that gig. I mean, it was it was like, you know, you raised off the floor. You were like levitating. The Music was great. Wow. <laughs> and those guys, yeah, the three of us, we had a ball. Amazing. Yeah, so fortunate to play with them. Amazing.
1: Motown closed.
2: World and you closed. went on to
1: School of Rock.
2: I, my timing was great. Ethan Pop was hot, you know, and so he, School of Rock somehow fell in his lap, and he asked me if I wanted to play drums on that. We did the workshop and stuff for that, the pre-Broadway run, um, and School of Rock was three years, I guess, and it was amazing.
1: Yeah, I like that show. I took my kids there, and they, oh, one of, of the guys time? actually went to, to middle school with my son, Matt, uh, one oh, of the okay. guitar players. I remember uh, his one of the kids name.
2: in the band? Yes. On the stage band? That's awesome.
1: Yep. And uh it was fun watching those drummers. I remember you would tell me about one of the drummers at
2: Ragov. He's amazing. Yes. He's all over he's all over the internet. He's teaching a drumio. Really? Ragov yeah. is a beast. <laughs> and the other guys were great too. Don't get me wrong. The other 13 year old Wonderkin drummers that were there, you know, Levi and the original guy, um, can't think of his name right now.
1: Did anyway, they ever come down and... Uh... Raghav,
2: Raghav is a special... Raghav, drummers will, will learn about Raghav from now to the end of time. That's how special Ragov
1: is. Wow. He's
2: got his head screwed on straight. He's been practicing umpteen hours a day since he was a little kid, recording himself and videoing himself since, since the beginning. There's YouTube videos of him from like age five or four all the way. He's amazing. He's got giant ears. He's humble. He's smart. He's got the right aesthetic. He's all that. I'm a giant fan. I love that guy.
1: It's great.
2: Yes. Everything good is with Raga, man.
1: Killed it. So one, one last thing. Mrs. Sure. Doubtfire.
2: Yes, here we uh, are.
1: Did that open up yet? I mean, did it actually open and then close? What was the...
2: We got three previews in.
1: Three previews in?
2: We did three previews, March 10, 11, and 12.
1: Oh, my God. Really?
2: For real, right? yeah. I'm yeah. playing percussion there again. It's another Ethan Pop thing. So, Ethan likes to hire me, I think, on percussion because if something happens to the drummer or with the train or whatever, if there's, he knows he can slide me over. That's because, true. So it's. I think for him, it's like, well, we got Gary, you know, just in case. Or I think is it's Rodney on one? that
1: one? Rodney Howard. I mean,
2: Rodney Howard, he's great, killing it. Yes,
1: he is. Out of all the musicals that you've done, do you have a favorite musical that you played in, and and why?
2: I guess it would—it's hard to name a favorite, but I can tell you, Aida has so much of me in it, and it was a thrilling time for me. It was really, really creative. That was a thrilling experience. But Tarzan, as you heard, is a thrilling experience. Wicked is absolutely has a lot of me in it too. That was thrilling, totally. Billy Elliot was—I great. I mean, I don't know—I love them all. <laughs> Working next to Buddy Williams every night. Honestly, his you know his pocket and his his time feel. I learned so much playing next to him every night.
1: And you know, he's it's stuttering for him
2: too. But you know, uh, yeah, he really turned my head around in a great way. I love that guy. Uh,
1: what advice would you give to anyone interested in playing Broadway musicals?
2: Okay, well, I, I guess I have to preface it by saying Broadway musicals have changed in the last fifteen years. A lot of them, even some, maybe one would say most of them are on a click track now, which is so that's a skill that everybody has. But at the same time, you better know how to, if you want to play on Broadway, I think you better have the wherewithal to, if you're doing something and there's no click there, to know how to hold the band together and be able to listen to your fellow section mates. It's a little different, you know, if there's no click there, then all of a sudden, the stakes are higher and so that's one element for sure um what advice would i give uh as a percussionist drummer play as much as many different styles as you can because you never know what if you really want to play on broadway you never know what every show is a different pocket of you know there's different styles the difference between rent and jekyll and hyde or rent and Tarzan, you know, or Les Miserables, which I played for five years, is very orchestral. Miss Saigon, very, like, Asian-y orchestral. You know, they're they're all different. So my advice would be to gain as much musical breadth as you can. Um, More advice would be really pay attention to the conductor and understand that they have, they're usually the only ones that can see the show from the front. So their responsibility, you have to have that in mind, I think, when you're sitting at the drum chair, even though you're driving the bus, and really maybe the ball's in your court in a way, because the drums supply a lot of heart and energy and momentum to the show, the person conducting, watching the show, playing keyboards, watching the show, has a singular you know, has is the only one with that viewpoint of what's really going on. So if you're tuned out To the extent that you're not really aware of what the conductor has on his plate in real time, moment to moment. In other words, if you're not really in tune to him to to some high degree, you're setting yourself up for potential for a potential disaster. I mean, the show could things could be happening on stage, people could be stopping, and you could or you you know, you could miss a vamp that. Things can really go wrong. It's very much happening. It's conducted in real time. It's played in real time. Whether it's a click track or not, man, it is being played. So you better pay attention to the conductor, and you need to have that skill and that awareness to be able to do that. So my advice to you is if you're playing a show, know the show really well so that you can take your mind off the book, look at the conductor, be aware of what he or she is going through, and then listen and play the show. And keep in mind the action and the storytelling because – Playing a Broadway show or playing a theatrical show is just that. It's not playing in a band with your band. It's a theatrical experience. It's a story being told. And you're a cog in the wheel of the story that's being told in real time. And because you're the drummer, you're supplying the heartbeat, the passion, the emotion, whether it's a triangle, it's quietly, you know, a beautiful triangle note, ting with the orchestra or if you're throwing down, playing School of Rock with kids jamming on stage in you know, a rock. you know It's all of the above. There's my
1: answer. <laughs> <No more. laughs> what are some things that...
2: Beyond Time, that's another one.
1: Oh, yeah, well, here we go. I got other questions. What are things that a Broadway drummer should never do in a Broadway pit?
2: Um, should never do? If you're subbing for someone... Be aware of what the environment is when you get into the drummer's space. And if you need to alter it, first of all, don't alter it much, meaning snare drum angle. If you have to change the seat height, try to get it back to where it was because there's nothing worse than if I get delayed on the train or I'm running in and I get there and the first tune is a big tune and if I sit down, it's like, way, you know, I feel... That's not cool. That's also not cool to leave your coffee cup, coke can, newspapers. Don't leave it a mess, man. Don't leave it a mess. <laughs> you, you know, fa- go back to the area. Fa- go back to how you found it. Basically, have respect for the environment. The
1: what are things day, that a drummer should always do playing Broadway shows?
2: Um, be aware of just what I said before, that it's a theatrical experience. You have to know the show well enough to keep your eyes on the conductor almost at all times. You have to realize that it's not about you. It's about the cohesiveness of the theatrical experience. You're in charge of the rhythm section, maybe not in charge, but you're there to help make that happen. Be always aware of that. Have your antenna way out, way open.
1: What kind of uh drums do you use and sticks, oh. cymbals? Hits? I'm a
2: Pearl Pearl endorser for a long time now. Since now I why even...
1: why Pearl and not Sonar or Yamaha or oh, that's
2: a good question. DW. You know, to be honest with you, I had a Slingerland endorsement. Um and Slingerland for a few years there was owned by Gibson and then Gibson kinda dropped Slingerland. And so when Aida was happening, I needed I knew I needed a drum set. I knew I could use Elton John's uh, clout to get an endorsement. And Slingerland could not furnish a drum set for me in New York at that point because Gibson had kind of dropped the ball and wasn't interested. So, And I was already with Promark Drumsticks. And my rep at Promark said, you know, you need drums, man. I know everybody. What do you want, Pearl, Yamaha? I was like, well, Pearl would be great and he he basically said he said okay let me call xyz and you call him and that's how it worked elton john and disney and the and a broadway show looming was enough to for Pearl to say yes great and you teach too great yes
1: did they give you a set or they uh
2: they gave me a set uh, at, uh no not for free no um, the set that i used was we bought you know at artist cost i actually disney bought that drum set then i bought a drum set that I had for myself. I wish I could have kept that Aida drum set because it was great. I loved it.
1: Is that what you have in your studio now? A pearl. No, drum now seat? I have
2: Billy Elliot's, I have a bunch of different drums, but the set that you're, um, here that now is a Pearl reference series that I used on Billy Elliot, that I bought from Billy Elliot. At the time.
1: And the drums that I saw you play in School of Rock, they were Pearl also, correct?
2: Yeah, and School of Rock producers wanted to keep that drum kit, which I'm bummed about because I loved it.
1: They were what do they do with it?
2: I don't know. I don't know. The producers have it. It's in a warehouse oh, somewhere collecting dust. I don't know. Symbols too? No, those are my symbols. I kept my symbols.
1: And what what kind do you use?
2: Sabian. I love Sabian. I've been with Sabian for a long time.
1: You know, a lot of my colleagues like Sabian symbols. I really
2: man. do love Sabian.
1: Hmm. I don't know
2: so much variety and I've never ever run into a situation where I wished I had something that I didn't have. Wow. They were really nice to me through the year. They've been great. I love that company.
1: Last time we spoke, you were working on a show that – it wasn't a show. It was a, I guess, four-show thing on Broadway. Uh, like, I forgot what it was called, Disney on Broadway. Yeah, we just did a
2: really exciting thing. That's one of the most exciting things that I have going on in my life the last 10 years is I get to play they, – they call they've called it different things over the years. It's when We just did the first equity union contract show – on Broadway, since the pandemic closed it down, we did five shows or six, maybe, at the New Amsterdam Theater called Disney on Broadway, where it's four great singers: the original Mary Poppins, the original Tarzan. It's Ashley Brown, Josh Strickland. In this case, it was Michael Scott, um, who was the Aladdin, current, the current Aladdin, and Kissy mm-hmm. Simmons, who was a Nala and Lion King for a long time. So it's four amazing singers, and we basically play. Various rep- repertoire from the Disney on Broadway songbook, so all of any of those shows. So we did stuff from um, Hercules, which is a new show that's happening. We did stuff from the Lion King, which was their first show. Then stuff from Aida. Then we did Aladdin. We did Frozen. Various hits sung really well with new arrangements and a five-piece band on stage, and we've done. I've got to do a version of that with orchestra. We. with the orchestra uh, Chicago Symphony Pops, the Boston Pops, where it's the four singers, the pianist and me, um, with the orchestra pops. It's been amazing. I love that. That and then we also do like the cruise line shows sometimes. The four of us will go out, the singers will go out with a small band and we do that. It's amazing.
1: You play with A C D C No. (laughs) Not
2: well I worked I work never. But I worked with um, the singer, Brian Johnson, is the singer with ACDC. Brian Johnson, believe it or not, was involved in writing the book and writing the music for that show. So it's a rock show, and we did a a performance of it down at a club in the village. Eden Espinosa was in it, and they had a cast. We did like two performances maybe, and I got to play with him because he sang. (laughs) he sang wow. he, he sang on one tune
0: that that's
2: was amazing cool. he was wild, <laughs> wild. Now, I thought
1: you got a, you know I thought you took Phil Phil. Uh,
2: no, no 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 no, he Phil didn't take Rutzper Brian reason. Johnson did not take me on the road I never played <laughs> with I got to play in a concert in New York with him where Brian Johnson sang two of his own tunes and I was playing drums yes
1: that's cool that's it was cool. great I have one last question for you for anyone that wants to find out more about you where can they find you? Uh, social media, website.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I don't pay attention too much. I don't usually post things. I should. I'm on Facebook. My name there is good. I'm on. I have my website. My website is outdated. I, one of the things I plan on doing is getting it together before we start work again in a couple of months. Uh, it's outdated, but I'll, I'll update it. People can find me there, Gary at garyselixon dot com. They can email me.
1: You teach lessons.
2: Yeah. Here and there, I do, yes, when I can. I love it. I love the
1: TV. The next thing you're doing is Mrs. Doubtfire. When is that going to be? uh, Mrs. Doubtfire,
2: we start rehearsals, I think, for me in mid-October. And then we open December 5.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. It's very interesting to learn the backstories of things and and why you uh, went from certain shows to certain. I didn't know before you got to uh, Broadway, you had done so much touring. That's amazing.
2: I did, yeah. And usually what they say about people that go on a Broadway show tour is that well, you become a touring musician and you're stuck there. In my is that, case is
1: that the case? Do you think that's the case nowadays?
2: Um, it could happen. I don't know about nowadays. I feel like everything's shifted with COVID and things are really wide open now. There's a lot of different things happening, you know, like there's the I think feel like Broadway's changing for a lot of reasons, you know. Um the whole equity amongst it's just changing, you know, it's changing. Yes, it is. Um, so, many, many
1: um, ways. Many we'll ways. see what happens when we come back.
2: Yeah, man. But um, I love touring. It worked out well for me. I, th- I feel like I got very lucky. Right place, right time. But right skill set. Yes. I think, you know, Gary Chester, when he asked me if I wanted to play on Broadway, I think he knew that I might have the right personality for it and the right backgrounds for it, which is why he asked me.
1: I'm not so, sure of you know, me. I don't really know. Is he still around?
2: No, he passed away about 15, 10, 15 years ago.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. But, and you he, know, he...
2: It, it dawned on me about three years into all the touring. I was like, man, you know what? I'm doing this day in and day out. But if I look back at who I am as a musician and like what my schooling was, I'm really, the, I'm really doing the right gig because it's, I come from the classical world. I played a lot of drum set and there's a lot of that and I played with a lot of orchestras and, you know, this is a good fit for me. So I, I feel like I I got lucky. It wasn't my go-to. You know, if you were to ask me in music school what my hope and dream would have been, it would have been to be a studio musician or maybe a timpanist in an orchestra.
1: Oh wow, really?
2: Yeah, but the cards didn't. When it, when I started studying with Gary Chester, I kind of and he said you want to play percussion or drums. Then I became more of a drummer, and then I think it was kind of pushed in that direction. But I wound up doing everything. I'm playing percussion now, so. Very lucky, very fortunate, very grateful.
1: That's great. Well, thank you for joining me on the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast, and nice talking to you, and we will see each other in person.
2: Yeah, man, I can't wait.
1: Sooner than later.
2: Thanks, Clayton. I really appreciate it.